0: We continue the sheer Navi in the story of Shimshon Hagibor, Shimshon, Samson the Powerful. Until now, the Philistines had tried to do battle in small numbers against Shimshon. Now well, they decided to bide their time. Perhaps he would quiet down. One day, they heard that Shimshon had come to the city of Azah. Azah is the Actual name for the Gaza, it's in the Gaza Strip, which is the land of the Philistines. Capital city was Azzah, and this city had a, a wall around it with a heavy gate. So, the Philistines massed waiting for Shimshon to leave. They decided that if he came there at night, he'd leave in the morning, they would catch him. <laughs> Shimshon became aware of that plan, and at midnight, he came to the gates of Azza which were practically deserted. He found them very securely locked. He bent down, ripped them out of their foundation, picked up these giant gates, which weighed many tons, and walked with them on his shoulders up to the top of the mountain. He placed them on the top of the mountain and called out to the Philistines below, if you want your gates, come and retrieve them yourself. Now, the Philistines decided that was it. They must arrive at a means, a method in which they could defeat Shimshun. To battle him as he was was impossible, because they felt that he was super person. There's no way that they can defeat him through their numbers or through any weapons. They must find out the cause behind this supernatural power. If they could find out the reason for it, and if they could remove that reason, then they could easily defeat him. Uh, there must be a secret involved, a secret which he reveals to no one. How could they get him to come out with that secret? They couldn't capture him and torture him and to reveal him. That was impossible too. And they figured the greatest weapon possible against any man is a woman. So they enlisted the aid of Delilah. The English is called Delilah. The true name is Delilah. And of course, Delilah itself Reno contains the word lilo, which is night, which stands for the depth of tumult, of impurity. A woman of ill repute, woman with the worst impurity possible, a Philistine, a Goya, but who possessed the evil beauty of a Satan. So they came to her, told her that she should use her wiles, tricks, of beauty in order to win his favor, And to seduce him into revealing the secret of his strength. In order to persuade her, the leaders of the Philistines came and told her that if she succeeds, they will give her, they'll pay her, 1,100 pieces of silver each. This will be her reward, plus great honor and glory. Now, she actually did not need this reward, because she was more evil than they, knowing that Shimshon was Jewish. Now, he was the leader of the jews it would be to her benefit our greatest satisfaction would be to destroy him but she agreed and they told her that they would be waiting let her invite him into her home and they'd wait outside very carefully hidden as soon as she was positive that she had uncovered the secret and he had become weakened then she should call to them they would enter and take him captive so she promised to do her best She invited Shimshon to her home, and there, she knew she could not act too quickly. She began to win his favor by treating him nicely, offering him fruit, serving him, playing up to him, till he was slightly off guard. Then, she became very friendly, and she said to him, Shimshon, I've treated you nicely. This went on for many nights. I've treated you nicely for so long. Surely you trust in me, and since... We should have a mutual respect for each other. I ask that there be no secrets between us. That's why there's one thing that you must reveal to me, and that is the secret behind your strength. If you tell me that, then I'll respect you much more because it means that you have given me all your inner secrets so we can really live happily together. Shimshon tried to evade the question, but she pressed him until he said to her, fine. If that's all you want to know, then I'll tell you the secret of my strength. secret is, in Hebrew, there's a number seven. The number seven is a very important number because the seven stands for the days of the week. The seventh is the day of Shabbos, the holy day. And this number seven contains all these secrets of greatness. Now, that is why, no matter what you do to me, you cannot make me weak. unless you use that number seven. If you take seven ropes... Not ordinary ropes. They must be ropes that are wet, dampened. Using the term rope together with Mayim, water, that comes from the word "shamayim" Heaven is made up of fire and water. Plus the fact that water was the first thing that Hashem created. Take these seven ropes, dip them in water, make them damp. Tying the me with these seven ropes will become completely defenseless. So she said, thank you for the information. And they... She continued speaking, and then, later she said to Shimshon, Let's play a game. Let me tie you up, just for the fun of it. Nothing serious about it, but uh, to get a little closer together. He agreed. She ordered, this was the next night, she had ordered from the Philistines that they bring her seven damp ropes, powerful ones. She told Shimshon to sit down, and she tied him very securely with these seven ropes. And then she let the conversation go off on a different tangent, but at least expected it. She cried out, Shemshel, the Philistines are attacking, the test him. Of course, she had not called the Philistines in yet, not to give herself away. He was caught off guard, and he jumped. And as he did, the ropes came off him like tissue. And she was furious. She said, Shemshel, you lied to me. I asked that you trust me, she told me an outright lie. Shimshon said, Simple, it's a secret I have. I don't want to reveal it, and there's no reason for you to ask it. She said, I have no other motive other than for you to prove your devotion to me. This went on for another night. And finally, she pressed him salt. so, or to use the correct word, as the Gemara says, she nagged him. Now, this is one of the great powers of females. When they nag, the strongest men, the greatest giants fall. So she nagged him until finally said, fine, I give up. My secret is, as I said, seven ropes, but they must be dry. And they must be brand new. Never used for anything else at all. Brand new, seven ropes, try this and that'll do it. Briefly, she ordered the seven new ropes. The next night she played the same game. She used the same tactics. She got them off guard and she cried out the Philistines are coming to attack. And again he jumped and the ropes came off him. She became still more angry, she started to cry to him, and she continued this nagging process till he finally succumbed and said, I'll tell you the secret. Now, she listened very closely and he said, You see, my hair is made up seven braids. Notice the number seven. Now this the fact that my hair is loose, this gives me strength. If you would take seven spikes Nail my hair to the ground, nail it down. Once my hair is secured, I can't move anymore. I'm completely weak. This time she couldn't touch his hair. He wouldn't let her touch his hair while he was awake. Because the din is that a Nazir cannot only not cut his hair, he cannot comb his hair either. It cannot be handled. So she put him to sleep, she lulled him to sleep. She had these seven spikes prepared. She nailed these to the ground. And then she screamed out to wake him up. The Philistines stays are coming. He woke suddenly with a start, again not realizing this was a trick. And he jumped. And up came the spikes with the floor, and he made a wreck of the place. This time she started to cry. You let me down. Shimshon, for this, you don't trust me. You don't like me. Regular tone. For this I'll fix you. This time, he tells, says about the Altsehu. She tormented him. She started with nagging, and she nagged, and she nagged, and she nagged. Till Itaara says that a great Shimshon could take no more. Finally, in desperation, rather than to suffer this nagging, of course, he could have escaped by just leaving her she had so magnetized him they couldn't leave if he had to trust her her motives were just simply as she stated so he revealed the true secret and told her that he had the spirit of hashem upon him due to the fact that he obeyed these laws no wine and no cutting of the hair If he should break one of these rules then he would lose his strength the Gemara says that this is a very vital phrase the Gemara uses. This applies to every case. She recognized that he was telling the truth. The Gemara asks how could she recognize this? Why was this different than the other times? How could she see in his words he was telling the truth? The Gemara answers that a person who has perception in speaking to someone can never be fooled because the truth could be recognized. If you watch closely, you can tell, you cannot be deceived. Of course, it takes a person who knows what truth is, but according to Divinity Emmaus, you can recognize when truth is being told. You don't need a lie detector for it. And so this time, she sent notice to the Philistines, way outside, tomorrow night, come, and each one of you bring 11, hundred pieces of silver. So certain am I that I've got him this time. The next night they came and she had someone waiting near the room with a pair of shears. She put him to sleep again, again unsuspecting because he felt this time that she wasn't nagging him. Suddenly she was very kind to him. He felt very relaxed until he fell asleep. She quietly called in this boy with the shears. He snipped off a braids of hair, and he left. This time, she stood up and screamed out, Shimshon, the Philistines have come to attack. Before she did that, she called the Philistines aside. That's how positive she was. If this was a false statement in his part, they'd be killed, and she too. But she was so certain he was telling the truth this time, that she had been waiting there, the army of soldiers, and As he opened his eyes, his first thought was, huh, in one second I'll wipe them out. He jumped and suddenly found that the light spring to his feet, that feeling of lightness, was gone. It wasn't, of course, the superhuman strength. It was that lightweight feeling of going through a stone wall since everything just dissipated before him, disintegrated. Now he tried to move and found that he was heavy once more. As he came towards them, they leaped upon him, held him firmly. He tried to struggle, but to no avail. In order to ensure their success, first thing they did was to take a sharp spear and cut out both of his eyes. They blinded him permanently, so that he could not be of any danger or risk to them later on, no matter what happened. Then they took him to a prison, a special type of dungeon where they had the millstones that ground wheat, flour. This round millstone was used for slaves in that dungeon. The UR says that he was placed there to work as a slave, but he had drawn the attention of Philistine women. When we explain once, the UR tells us that Shimshon, as far as looks, had one good quality, outstanding quality, in that his physique was unique, it was literally shaped like a V. Very wide shoulders, uh, the width of the shoulders would sound like an exaggeration. We won't give the exact number of the cartels, but just to say it's extremely wide. That uh, petered down to a narrow waistline, extremely good looking, but he was crippled on both feet, he limped. Still, he was so attractive to women that the Philistine desired him so that he was brought to this dungeon and they paid for the privilege of being close to him. He was blind, he was forced to do this work, he was forced to make contact with them, and of course this was all a, a torture as far as he was concerned, among William, among women especially who were out for no good purpose. He stayed there and in his blindness, in his struggle against this wheel, pushing this wheel, he spent his time literally in his splutterness. means a person who speaks to Hashem in privacy. Being blind, he was in complete privacy with Hashem. So he prayed to Hashem and he asked for one thing. Accept my repentance. I have done wrong. I have sinned. It's my fault. Because revealing the secret to a non-Jewish woman, one who could not be trusted, its the same as though I had taken a scissors and cut my hair off myself. I broke the law of Nazir, but much worse, far worse than cutting the hair, far worse than breaking the law of being a heavenly Nazir, was the fact that he had made such close contact with an illicit woman. So for this he cried, repented, and we will not see much from the story in Navi, or from the Gemara itself about this, this is discussed much more at length in the Zohar, Kadosh Nerizah. We'll try to come back to this a little later. Meanwhile, he stayed in this dungeon for a while, and his prayers, Hashem, were so persistent that when the Torah says his hair began to grow back, physically it meant nothing symbol was that the Spirit of Hashem slowly began to accept Him. After a time passed by, the Philistines decided to make a type of celebration. They had an immense stadium built of solid rock, a stadium that had a stands, and it also had a balcony above that covered the entire top of the stands. This stadium, as is known to all who have read the story or heard it, had two giant pillars on which the top balconies rested. In fact, the whole stadium of rock was based on these two pillars. The plan was to fill that stadium with all the leaders of the Philistine nation and then to have Shimshon brought out the center of the stadium and there to make mockery and jest of him as the arch enemy of the Philistines who was now defeated and now reduced to less than a human being. A simple blind human. They prepared for this feast, including all the princes of the Philistine nation, especially their heroine at that time, Delilah, was given a seat of honor. And then they were ready to have Shimshon brought into the center of the arena. He was led by a Philistine man because he was blind. Shimshon was well acquainted with the entire area. He knew about this stadium being the largest of all the the arenas that the Philistines had. They asked this guide, this Philistine guide, to bring him close to the central pillars. He would be there anyhow in the middle of the arena, but he was very tired from his work. He wanted to just lean against the pillars to rest against them. Uh, Unsuspectingly, this boy brought him to these pillars. He stood there. While staying there, the Philistines began to cry, a loud roar of jest and mockery, cursing at Shimshon, laughing and joking about him. He felt with his hands for the pillars next to him, he stood between them, and then he rested his hands on the pillars and looked up, sightless, to heaven. He prayed to Hashem. He said, This is my final request. I asked. That I be given strength for one last time. I want to be avenged for my eye. He just said, I singular. For one eye, I, I want to be avenged. I want to have the strength back so I can repay the Philistines for the eye. I. I want to save the other eye, which I lost, for in case I receive this blessing of strength now, that means that fact, I lost my eye. Will not be of any benefit to me. I'm being repaid for it. I want to save the second eye, the loss of the second one, for Gan Eden, future world. If I have any reward for this, let my second eye be repaid for in Paradise, in Gan Eden. And then he leaned against the posts, and slowly he felt his body being permeated with the that feeling of the spirit of Hashem in him. He started to press forward against these two pillars. Of course, the Philistines, seeing what he was doing, roared in laughter. He was a puny human being. He lost, he lost his strength completely against these two pillars, which were hundreds of times as tall, and as wide and as powerful. as was like two solid mountains, trying to upset these pillars. He watched, screamed, until he had reached the peak of his strength they pressed forward and they could see the cracks beginning to form in these pillars. For a second, there was silence, and then the loudest roar of all was when these two pillars cracked completely. The entire top of the stadium caved in on top of all the Philistines there, and every one of the Philistines present was crushed in this rubble of rock. Buried in all this debris was Shimshon himself. Later on, Torah says that they sought out his relatives came to bury him, bring him back to Israel, give him a hero's funeral. How do you find a body in such rubble? The rock itself could crush a body until where it cannot be recognized. Yet they dug up these stones and found that his body was he was dead, but from suffocation, he was not crushed at all. So strong was he physically that the rocks did not mar him at all. And so he was given this hero's funeral, buried in honor, knowing that he had led the Jews for 20 years to victory. Now here the Torah says in one sentence that this last act of his, when he destroyed the stadium, the number of dead that he killed at the time of his death were more than he had killed throughout his entire life, which of course was very nice thing to add to his credit. Mesazal says that the message here is a very different one. Shimshon was a tzaddik. The Torah states this for deliberate reason, to show, to illustrate, as the Gemara says, that when a person is privileged to witness, to see a tzaddik, if he ever sees a true tzaddik, then he should try to become very closely attached to him. Because if he does not become attached to this tzaddik, He's going to have to go through a cleansing process later on. Every person, no matter how young or how old he is when he passes away, no matter how good or how bad, he has some stains that he has acquired through his sins. In the neshamah, the soul of a person is spiritual. These stains become carved out into the soul. And the only way to remove these stains of sins are through a cleansing process cleansing process is only fire that can remove these stains. Those are called the fires of Gehenna. And they go through this process, of course, it's indescribable suffering. The Gemara itself tells us about the suffering of Gehenna that cannot be described in physical terms. The fires of Gehenna. More so, even much more so, the Gemara tells us very clearly that there are two types of suffering. Two types of Gehenna. And that a wicked person that goes to Gehenim goes for a period of 12 months. Six months in a gehenim of fire. Six months in a gehenim of ice. Fire to ice. Two extremes. And of course the question arises, why? Why would the Gemara tell us this? And isn't this something that should be told to small children? you try to frighten a small child into behaving, you tell them that if you don't behave, you don't do right, you'll be punished to suffer, to be given a beating, to tell this to a grown person, it would seem to repel him, chas it might frighten him too, but it might also drive him away, it might make him reach a point of hopelessness, the answer is, Los says, Zarek Kodesh tells us, that the righteous person, not afraid of ice, of snow or ice, because his home is filled with shunim. the Gemara says shnayim, it's filled with two, two doubles, pairs. And the Zarek Kodesh says, what's meant by this statement? Filled with pairs means that a Jew has mitzvahs that come in pairs. He has tzitzes, He has two chalos, Shabbos. A woman lights two candles on Friday night. Most mitzvahs come in pairs, and it's these pairs of mitzvahs that protect a person from this ice, the Gehenna of ice. Nosuzar says, what is the meaning of this statement, the Gehenna of ice, what happened to the fire? And why do we speak only about the ice? Nosuzar answers that what the Zora Kodesh really means, what means, let's discover first why there are two Gehenna's and what they really represent. The answer is that a person commits a sin because he allows himself to be aroused, to be tempted, to be drawn. In other words, he becomes warmed up to the sin with desire. And for this, because he's allowed us to become warm, he must pay fire for fire. That's the Gehinnah of fire. But this is not the important Gehinnah because for that sin, a person is advised. There are ways to cure these evil acts. You committed a sin, you are not doomed. Don't fear the of fire, and don't fear punishment. All you need is one word, repentance. Return, as long as you're alive, Hashem says, come back and I'll take you back. There's no limit. If you have broken every single law in the Torah over and over and over again, you're still accepted as long as you want to come back. But, there are times... The person commits a much worse crime all these sins combined the person feels dejected he feels sad Atzis. he feels this statement about repentance about being taken back by Hashem refers to people who are good people who committed a sin once in a while but it doesn't refer to me I'm a habitual sinner I've done so many sins it couldn't really mean me and therefore I'm excluded and what's the use of trying to return to Hashem when I know that I'm so evil, I might do it again? And therefore, he is very cold to the thought of going back, returning. Being cold, the ur says, there's this Gehenna of ice, the Gehenna of snow and ice, which is much worse than the Gehenna of fire. Because the Gehenna of fire you can come out of. There's a solution for it, simple repentance. The Gehenna of ice, a person who's cold, that person gives up hope. Once he's given up hope, there's very little opportunity for him to really return to Hashem. Because he gave up hope, he deserves the very worst. That the lesson of A good Jew, one with faith, will never be afraid of this Gehenna of ice. The Gehenna of fire is no problem, simple repentance. But the Gehenna of ice, too, the main one, he will not fear. Because, love because he's filled mitzvahs that come in pairs, doubles. That means he tried once, but he failed. He repented. He went back to his evil ways. He still did not give up hope. He came back a second time, which means he came back repeatedly, again and again. This person who does not give up hope he goes back and returns to Hashem, that person can never get worried about the head of ice, because eventually he will succeed. Eventually Hashem will take him back. Now in this case, a person who tries to come close to the tzaddik knows that then the tzaddik can purify him, erase those stains due to his sins, but he will not be required to have these stains erased the hard way through the fires of Yehudah. That's during a tzaddik's lifetime. If a person was Zohar to get close to the tzaddik and then the tzaddik passes away, what does this person do then? The answer is that if he maintains a strong faith in the tzaddik, he maintains his close relations with the tzaddik. By studying the writings of this tzaddik, by continuing to believe firmly in this tzaddik, he will find that in turn now the tzaddik will come close to him. And that those powers he had seen in the tzaddik during his lifetime, powers with the tzaddik to purify him, cleanse him, now the tzaddik's powers are multiplied many-fold. Versus the Gemara says that the tzaddik is far greater after he passes away than during his lifetime. Many times in tzaddik during his lifetime prays to Hashem. His prayer is not answered. because Hashem enjoys the prayer of the tzaddik. And Hashem says, if I answer him, he'll quit. He'll stop praying. If I don't answer him, he'll have to come back. This is the reason why Yitzhak and Rivka father and mother of the Jews, second father the Jews, prayed for a child. She was barren, she couldn't give birth, both together they prayed intensely every day. Their prayers were not answered after days and years until twenty years later, first she became pregnant and gave birth. They did not give up hope in their prayers, they persisted, but we see how long it took them. Here when a passes away, his strength is multiplied many times prayer of a tzaddik after his passing is far more powerful than during his lifetime. And this is what the sentence hints at. The Elim is found in this sentence. That to destroy the evil forces, that's the work, the duty, the mission of a tzaddik, during his lifetime, and he has the power to do so. But his power is increased and multiplied manyfold after his passing. And here the passage says, shem shanat tzaddik, destroyed more killed more the evil ones at the time of his death, after his passing, than all he had done during his entire lifetime. A tzaddik can destroy more evil after his passing. His power is that much increased than all he can accomplish during his lifetime. This is the lesson that shimsho teaches us as far as the Scandalous, the Amun and Now let's for a moment study the identity of shimsho This is what we have from the Navi the just a few minutes to find out what happened to Shimshon after his passing. We said that he had prayed for one eye to be saved, the credit for one eye to remain, he could be assured of Ganadin. Shimshon was a tzaddik? If so, what was he afraid of? If he was really a tzaddik, was he afraid he would never get to Ganadin? He'd lose out entirely? And to what extent would he be punished for the sin that he began of having made contact with a non-Jewish woman? The uh, Gemara says that this—it's a moot question—and it's actually left to the Zara Kadosh, the Arizal, to answer through what the Arizal calls eyewitness, eyewitness knowledge in heaven. First, Shmuel, during his lifetime, was a combined Gilgal of Nodav and Avihu, the two sons of Aaron These two sons of Aaron a very great tzaddikim, throwed by Ekodesh, says, very holy tzaddikim, yet the Chumash tells us that they brought a strange fire, a strange sacrifice into the base of Mikdash, and they were destroyed by Hashem. Fire came out of the holy of holies and consumed their insides. That means in the Shema, the body wasn't touched. What was the reason for their being killed? What was their crime? What was their sin? The Zohar Kodesh says the sin was that they were not married. The Imara says because they had drunk wine before they entered into the Holy of Holies, an act which is forbidden. As the Apostle says immediately afterwards. So they had to rectify this they had to pay for this, and therefore they came back as part of them, that is, A small part came back as Shimshon because of the fact they were not married, they paid for it now, with the torture of his having to make contact with these Philistine women in this dungeon. The fact that they had drunk wine, he had to rectify that by going through an entire lifetime without touching anyone. This is not the point. The question again is main question, what happened to Shimshon afterwards? Now, Zoray Kodesh points out that according to the Gemara, a person is killed, then this acts as a pardon for all his sins. If he is killed, that's enough, he has suffered and paid for his sins, and yet we find that in the case of Shimshon, it did not pay for his sins. The fact that he had looked at a non-Jewish woman, for this, he paid for this the Gemara says he was punished that his eyes were cut out this was an equal a fitting punishment yet did this erase the sin completely in addition to this he died a horrible death an unnatural death uh, according to the Yuma, dying a death like that should erase every last trace of a sin yet in the case of shimshon this says that he had to still pay for this sin had he came back as a gilgu, he came back reborn again as King Tzitkio, King Tzitkio, one of the last kings of the Jews, who was captured by the king of Babylon. As the Torah tells us, when he was in captivity, the first thing the king of Babylon did to King Tzitkio was to cut his eyes out. Why so? Because he was a Gilgal of Shimshon. He had to go through the same penalty again and again to get that sin erased. Oh, he had this thing happen to him when he was alive as Shemshon. Oh, he was—he died an unnatural death. He still, was not sufficient here to go through this again. And of course, the result brings the series of Gilgulim, where many of the famous people in Jewish history we find that they were sightless or actually a Gilgul of Shemshon. Uh, why in his case was there so great a penalty? In addition to which we find the question brought up many times question brought seriously did Shimshon eventually get to Ganid? What was so bad about his crime that it could not be forgiven? The answer is that Shimshon is Shimshon was a tzaddik. The greater the person, the more careful, the more meticulous must be his conduct, and the greater the penalty for his any infraction. And that's why in the case of Shimshon, so many generations had to pass by before his sin could be completely eradicated. Finally, he was one of the great rabbis of the Gemara, the Talmud, Talmud who accepted upon himself as leader of all the rabbis of the Gemara to accept willingly blindness. And that was the last, apparently the last time, the final time which he paid for this act. And he was also to become because yeshiva, the head of the yeshiva not just on earth, but in heaven too. So that the story of Shimshon does have eventually a happy ending. The lesson for us, though, is, again, that Shimshon was a tzaddik, and we should never allow ourselves to degrade his memory by any of the statements that are found in the false Bible critics, because Shimshon led the Jews with a willingness to sacrifice his life for them. One, his smallest act was greater than the great mitzvahs of many other tzaddikim. Because he was so great a tzaddik, he had to undergo all this suffering, endure this suffering, eventually though, to reap the benefits, that prophets of a high elevation against Aden, that only a tzaddik of his stature could achieve. Uh, again, the main moral There is, as Rebendezal said, there is no such thing as Yush. No such thing as giving up hope for a Jew, whether it is an individual Jew, or whether it is a group, a community, whether it's the entire Jewish people. If the Jews see that things have turned black for them, the world has turned against them, and there seems to be no hope, they should know that if all the countries of the world closest allies, have forsaken them, but never will Hashem forsake them, Chassashol. And that's why the Midrash says that we are destined. We are just a single lamb, a sheep. country of Israel is compared to a sheep. A lamb surrounded by 70 powerful wolves. 70 basic nations on earth. They powerful wolves who attack, who keep tearing, ripping away at this lamb ages and ages, for eons, how can it be? Remedrus asks that a small lamb remains alive and endures these attacks of these 70 vicious powerful wolves, and yet these wolves continue to die one after the other, the lamb continues to live on. The answer is, in one answer, Remedrus says, it is due to the infinite power of the shepherd of this lamb. Because Hashem is our guide, Hashem is our guard, Hashem guides over us, and just as Hashem is infinite, is everlasting and eternal, so has He swore that His people, we the Jews, will remain eternal. We have to have a strong faith with which we'll be deserving of seeing our ultimate victory and glory with the coming of Mashiach, who will come definitely our time now, which gives up at the sea with our eyes the the rebuilding of the base of Mikdosh, the or